Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with our guest today. He has a background in radio and television, mainly working for the BBC as a presenter, sports commentator and newsreader. His CV includes working on Strictly Come Dancing, The One Show, to name but a few. He also runs his own live theatre event, Cinema in Symphony, and he's a VIP match day host at Worcester Warriors. More recently, in November 2018, he started a video production company with his wife and has seen steady growth working with clients ranging from multinational to local business in Worcester. You can find him at m-studios.co.uk. He is Rory McAllister. How you Hello, doing, Rory? Dan. Hello. Yeah, who wrote that? That's quite a lot. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of when you hear it back. Yeah, you hear it back and you think, <laughs> is that me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've done some stuff. Yeah, here and there. <laughs> Dabbled. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming in. No, thanks for the invite. I'm going to put it straight out there and say I'm a little bit nervous. You know what you're doing with this stuff, and I'm having a crack. <laughs> Don't worry at all. It's to be championed, I think. Anyone who's doing a podcast, I think, just do it. Just go for it. You will learn as you go and listen to the professional ones as mm. well, some of the BBC output, or, and pick out the bits you like. Yeah. Listen to the way Radio 4 do things. You know, having worked for Radio 4 myself, it's a completely different approach. It can be a bit more sort of librarian type. Mm. You've know, got to be a bit quieter. There's not so much music and all this sort of stuff with Radio 4. It tends to be just voices, but then some of the other BBC content, and not just the BBC, some independents as well. But yeah, and pick out the bits you like and then try and employ them into your own. Like this, to me, is already the kind of sort of Piers Morgan life stories type. <laughs> well, no, this is, a, this is a very nice place you've got here. I'm sitting here on a leather sofa. I've been given a lovely black coffee. and You wait to spend a Friday morning. Indeed, 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 yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, we were chatting a bit before the show, but you're from Surrey originally? Ascot, Berkshire. Ascot, okay. Yeah, 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 I did live in Surrey, though, for quite a bit. For anyone who knows the Frimley area, where they used to do the BDO darts down at Frimley Green, I lived in Frimley and a place called Deep Cut. Deep Cut? Yes, which is not far from the Bisley Rifle Barracks. Right, okay. So Saturday mornings were spent trying to lie in, listening to... Really? <laughs> yeah, so... I've lived in some interesting locations, but yeah, originally from born in Ascot, literally across the road from the race course and grew up in Bosch most of my life and spent a lot of time in Worcester because family moved here in the early 90s. So I've been coming to Worcester for about 25 years before I moved here in 2018. And I wouldn't go back. Just checking it I'm out. I'm going to stay here <laughs> if that's okay. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Who is this cockney? <laughs> like, you know, people say that, you know, round here, they go, oh, cockney. It's like, no, 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 no. Now, a Cockney is actually a very specific part yeah, of it is. London. It's like pretty much one street, is it? You have to be born within the sound of the bow bells. Oh, that's the one, yeah. To yeah, have yeah. been classed as a Cockney. So, yes, I might sound like I'm from London to, to a certain ear. Some people sort of go, well, doesn't he sound like Ricky Gervais? Well, that's because Ricky grew up 15 miles away from where I lived. But no, 30 miles directly west of central London is where I'm from. 
and now I live somewhere in Worcester City Centre, somewhere. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so when you were growing up, was sort of radio and TV always on your mind? Is that something you always wanted to aim towards? Or oh, Dan, I mean, you always yeah. presenting in school? Yes, I was. Kel surprise. I loved television. I think we're not that dissimilar in age, I don't think. But certainly if you were born in the 70s, I think you grew up with a massive TV and radio culture. Radio was massive. The road shows on Radio 1, millions of us listening, they still get millions today, but it wasn't the same. Real TV events where were you on Wednesday, the 4th of July, 1990, in the evening? I know exactly where you were. You were absolutely watching England versus West Germany, along with <laughs> 30 million of us, you know, and events like that, which, of course, you still get with sort of World Cups and things, but even just TV programs and soaps and things like that. And I think for our generation as well, massive, huge American culture influence. I often say and believe, and some people have agreed, for example, when our generation, when we saw the Halloween scene in E.T., oh, that's how you do it. Oh, you don't sort of dunk your head in bowls and try and pick out apples. You all get dressed up in different characters and you go around trick-or-treating and with pumpkins and things like that. It was sort of turnips and things like that before in my sort of early days as a kid. So, yeah, my life was surrounded and consumed by TV, video cameras as well. I was messing around with video cameras since about the age of about five. I also, with my cousin, started something called the Radio House Show. It was a very popular radio station. It had three listeners. It was brilliant. <laughs> my mum, my sister, and my auntie. Supportive. Yeah, I suppose in terms of the radio careers, I've got my cousin to thank, actually, uh, Sean. He lives in Australia these days. I've still got the recordings. Cool. <laughs> Even if you wanted to edit in part of me when we I was five of <laughs> into this, nice. you know, introducing Madness Records and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That kind of gives you an idea of the era of which I did it. I loved television. I was, and maybe now controversially still am, a massive Noel Edmonds fan. I thought just everything that he did was brilliant, from the Christmas presents on Christmas Day to the Noel Edmonds Roadshow, which then came locally to where I used to live, and then to the house party. And Paul Daniels Magic Show, all of these programs influenced oh, yeah. me. Paul Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, who ended up becoming a personal friend and a mentor for me, actually, and taught me an awful lot. Would people call that name dropping? I don't know, maybe. Because there's like so much less then. There's only like, what, four channels at that stage, wasn't there? Well, that's right, yeah. More chance that everyone watched everything, I suppose. Nowadays, like it feels to me like there's so much choice, but I, I suppose people still find people that enjoy the same programs but it must be different in a way because you only had four channels to choose from and chances are you watch the same thing as your mates at school well that's right of course and there were these big television moments christmas i used to have to rifle through the radio times and the tv times you used to have to buy both they amalgamated them. Is that right? yeah they right. amalgamated them around i don't know what was it 1993 or something like that maybe i'd have to check that but you used to have to buy both and then i used to make a chart of things I was going to record and things I was actually going to watch live. And I remember 1988, The Empire Strikes Back premiered on ITV. But at the same time, ITV decided to put Back to the Future on. So I got the next door neighbor to record Back to the Future. Luckily, I picked the right one and I recorded Empire Strikes Back myself, which was edited and cut, by the way, when they first put it out on TV. It was disappointing. But he recorded it at the wrong speed. Back in the days of VHS, you could record right. an SP short play or LP long play. 
and we only had a short play recorder. So he recorded it a long play. So when I got Back to the Future back to me, it was Doc Brown and Marty McFly sounding like chipmunks. Oh, great Scott! Just the Libyans! And all that kind of sort of, quick Marty! It was ruined. But films like that, as I said, television programs I've mentioned, they have absolutely had a massive influence on me as a person and professionally as well, because the standard is still high today, but it is very, very different. And as you said, the four channels, Channel 4 came along in 1982. A chap called Paul Coyer was the first voice on it. He was the continuity announcer. I worked with Paul a bit um, down in the southeast for a time. And yeah, and then Channel 5 came along. That was a bit of a laughing stock at the time. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Yeah. But one of the things they did start doing was rerunning The Incredible Hulk, the 70s TV series. So for me, Channel 5 started to get a thumbs up on a Saturday afternoon. Were you kind of all consumed by that at school? Or were you a good student at school? Or what was the balance? Yeah, I mean, you painted a very good picture there where you would come running in the next day and, oh, did you see the A-team at the weekend? Or did you see Knight Rider, the one where Kit falls into acid? No, no. What's Michael going to do now? Or the James Bond films were a big draw. Or maybe Jaws was on at the weekend or something like that. So, yes, I was constantly told by teachers that I talked too much, which is hilarious then when you end up so making a good thing. <laughs> yeah, when you end up making a living out of it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I, you say well at school. I got all of my GCSEs. I got all of my A levels. I got myself a degree as well in video production. Video production, cool. Okay. But that was the late 90s when you got laughed at for doing that kind of thing. And some of my friends were Magdalene College in Oxford. I'd go and visit them sometimes twice weekly. And it was sort of like, <laughs> you do video. Pro- yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, of course, now. Everyone wants video. Yeah, <laughs> and I've spoken to some video production students at even the University of Worcester. And, of course, nowadays, people kind of go, oh, that's great, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the internet, of course, has made things a lot more accessible in terms of getting in touch with production companies and things like that. But, yeah, I was all right at school, just talked too much but always one to put my hand up and perform an audition and ended up head boy of my secondary school. Didn't get the primary school. That was controversial. <laughs> but the secondary school, I got the honor, I suppose, of being head boy in my school. And I definitely wouldn't go back to secondary school, never. Why is that? Again, it was a different era. Teachers, I think, if you're a teacher, by the way, listening to this, and I'm sure you know this, you don't realize the impact you can have on people long term. You don't realise how much encouragement you can give to a student, but you don't know how much damage you can do as well because they say things and sometimes it lives with you for the rest of your life. And then, especially nowadays, we're all taught to be aware of our mental health and stuff like this. A coach of mine, friend Daryl, he's always called it mental fitness and I always think that's a really good term. But yeah, teachers, just yeah, be careful what you say sometimes. Not even what you do, but what you say because it can be crushing. Yeah, it's a big responsibility. And isn't I think it? you can probably tell now that my whole pitch has slowed and lowered. You can tell that there's still some demons or baggage that, that still kicks around in the back of my mind. Right, yeah. Things. Because, like you said, they describe it as talking too much, but effectively you weren't fitting into the kind of. No, I mean. Way of doing things, one maybe. One particular teacher. Mr. Wright, or Jeff as he became, because of course you can leave school and they tell you you can call them by their first name. And he sadly passed away actually last year, but he was even invited to my 40th. My wife organised it. There you go, I'm giving away my age now. My wife organised a surprise 40th birthday for me um, at the Rowan Club in Worcester and she actually got in touch with him, invited him, but he was unwell and wasn't fit Uh, enough to travel. But yeah, I owe him a lot. His 
wife at the time when I was on the point of leaving school, his wife was the cleaner at the local radio station. Right, okay. And that's how I literally got in the door, as it were, and he sorted all that out. So, so he knew that you had yeah. that dream and that that's what you were into and yeah. arranged it for you. Yeah, and it does nice. make me emotional talking about him, actually, because, yeah, without him doing that, I don't know. It might not have all happened, Dan, to be mm. honest. Mm. Yeah, it might not have worked out. Yeah, wonderful man. And then there's the ones that do you ill as well. And you don't sort of wish any ill on them, but teachers, yeah. It's a big responsibility, isn't it? it? Is, but like you say, is. like it's... And I think nowadays, I don't think they're allowed to, inverted commas, get away. Having done some work in schools and been invited in to talk to kids about how to make YouTube videos or how to present TV or radio programs. Like, for example, 1993... Mr. Hunter, right? Barry Hunter, Barry the Viking, we called him because that's what he looked like, <laughs> even though he was only about five foot four. You've got about an A5 space, Dan. And this is the review. This is my annual report. And all it said was Rory is disruptive. Oh, yeah. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And in those days, you could do that. I mean, obviously, your parents have still got a right to reply, and my dad always made sure he did reply. But you've got that horrible thing of being given that report in a brown envelope on, say, the 19th of July. And if it's not good, it can wreck your summer holidays. Yeah, yeah. Because then your parents are annoyed. They're like, what have you done? Some of these teachers perhaps have based this comment maybe on one or two days. But what does that mean? What do you mean disruptive? As in, well, if it's that bad, why didn't you get in touch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Fair point, isn't it? Is he stopping the other 20 yeah. students from learning? Like when you finish your meal at the restaurant and yeah. say, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> That's right. And when you're a sensitive soul as well, and you will find that many, many people who are in television and are in radio, and particularly presenters, they have a thick skin of sorts, that this sort of bulletproof armour that goes on. But a lot of us are very, very sensitive. And a lot of us will carry around stuff that you say to us for a long time. Sometimes we use it to spur us on, and other times we get rid of it through doing, I don't know, reading self-help books or just trying to improve our own character or our own performance. But I think that like that, based on the school days, which I suppose is, is what we've been talking about, the one thing you have to bear in mind before you start criticising anybody on the TV or radio, if you don't like them, or they do this all the time, or Alan Carr, I don't like him because he you know, talks too much or talks too high or whatever. You've got to remember that professionally, we've been criticised every day. You sometimes, if you have a, I don't want to say normal job, but you might have your annual review that you get all het up. Oh, I've got my annual review tomorrow. All right, so you're pretty much going to get criticised or reviewed once. We yeah. get it every day. Right, yeah. And particularly since the advent of social media, people can then start don't get me wrong, some of it's praise. And I'm happy to say, in my particular experience, a lot of it's been more... Yeah, but it's that thing, isn't it? Like, you can get 100 five-star reviews and then get one one-star review. And what do you focus on for the next, like, week in your head? Is that one-star review, isn't it? Correct, Dan. I don't know what it is about us that makes us focus on that. <laughs> yeah, and let's face it, we now live in the review culture as well. Yeah, the, the, yeah. You know, the amount of things we don't buy until we've read the reviews. And then you have to kind of, sometimes even if some people have said rubbish things about it but your heart really wants that product you then <laughs> start to reword it and kind of go oh well they must have been having a bad day yeah, yeah. or you can look at other reviews that they've written and go oh, they have a go at everything 
or oh no, they thought this was great. Yeah, and so, you look at their like spelling and grammar, and you go, oh, yeah. I feel so I trust. <laughs> you've got to be aware with people in television and radio that things that you say hurt and encourage, and I think that more and more of these things are coming to the fore. And some people might have even guessed they'll be listening to this now and thinking any minute now he's going to mention Caroline Flack. And it precisely, that's exactly who I'm going to mention. And there is a classic example of somebody who in their career was doing well, gorgeous girl, never a bad word to say from people that knew her and worked with her. But yet it all got too much. And word spreads much faster these days. You, know, you think back in the day when Elvis died or one of them, James Dean or someone like that, some of these tragic deaths that happened, it might have taken a couple of days. You might have heard it on the radio or the TV or newspaper. I don't know about you, but I found out that Amy Winehouse was dead within about 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't take long, And it was does a Saturday no. afternoon, just comes through. I don't want you to dwell on it too much, but good thing that the one teacher did who gave you that opportunity in radio, I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? It's probably not a massive thing on his part. He just talked to his wife, she talked to someone, exactly. got you in. But it's just a different attitude, isn't it, it to is. the one that wrote that you were disruptive and nothing else. But it's more of a sort of abundant, like, there's something in there, kind of, let's give him a chance. And he's got something kind yeah. of attitude, isn't it? You yeah. Know? I mean, the same teacher that literally opened that door, you know, because you often hear this, don't you? I'll get your foot in the door. He also was the one that rang my mum at work. My mum got really worried. It's like, oh, something called uh, Mr. Wright's on the phone from your son's school? My mum was like, oh, no, what's happened? And it was him ringing going, Rory hasn't put in for the head boy application and he should do. And then that night when I got home, she said, Mr. Wright rang me today and said you should stick in for it. So, yeah, I got 100% pupil vote and there were two teachers that didn't vote for me and I know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> it might sound that, oh, listen to this, like this guy's let it go. Like he's been dragging it around. And it's like, well, I have sort of let it go. But at the same time, when you're in a situation like this and you're going to talk about something, it's far more interesting, I think, to be completely open and honest about it rather than sugarcoat yeah, yeah. what's gone on. But there's been teachers before him and after him who do go above and beyond for the students in their class. I know of many teachers who have really gone not even the extra mile, like the extra 37 miles or however long it's been yeah, yeah, to kind yeah. of do some sort of extra curricular activity for their students. Yeah, and to... I think ultimately everyone wants to do good and sometimes... Like, to be fair, these days people get caught up in all the bureaucracy and the targets they have to meet and things like that. So there's all of that. It's a, it's a whole big discussion, I suppose, isn't it? That? Yeah, there is. <laughs> and a lot of it is luck and placement as well. There's a brilliant book. Again, I know some people run it down. Uh, Matt Side wrote a book called Bounce, who was a table tennis player. He played doubles with one of my childhood friends, Terry Young, and they were very successful together. And Matt Side now writes for The Times and stuff and does things for kids and things like that. But he, for example, grew up on a street with Great Britain's best table tennis player and started playing him, so therefore got better. And then literally about five to 10 years later, most of our elite table tennis players were all from Berkshire. They were all right. in that <laughs> nucleus of where this man lived. Right, okay. So again, depending on the street you grow up on, depending on who's connected, nepotism can be a big issue in media. And sometimes you can kind of think, oh, they've got in because their dad was, or their mum was so-and-so. And sometimes yeah, yeah. people are connected. And sometimes when you see this kind of overnight success, at least that's how it appears. Yeah, this is very you kind rare. of realise that <laughs> Well, oh, actually, they knew Rob Brydon 
there's many different ways and stories of how your situation in your life and the timing of it all cousin once said to me everything's about timing comedy turning up on time for something being professional not missing flights timing of when you meet certain people people come and go in your life dan yeah you're best friends with someone you think oh i can't imagine my life without this person and 10, 12 years later, they're living up north, you're down south, or they've moved abroad, or they've met somebody from America. It all changes. But I mean, good timing and things that happen, opportunities often happen because you've been putting yourself out there and trying and getting to a point where, because like the sort of classic example for me with photography is people say, oh, I must have been really lucky to get that shot. And say like a wildlife photographer or something and you're like well yeah except he was sitting there for 14 hours a day for the last three weeks that's right waiting studying that's right to get that shot they put themselves there and yes there was a moment a fleeting moment but and i feel like that's the same with every opportunity in life and what happens indeed and these days your whole career can be defined by moments particularly like in the world of famous people you can be picked up and spat out pretty quickly and if you don't stay on trend and the way some people can go through what could be career-ending type situations but because we love them so much it's fine Ant McPartland for example I mean I don't know anyone who doesn't like Ant and Deck for example and Ant McPartland as we know went through some quite serious rehab stuff he took like a year out he wasn't on the tv and he came back and good as gold and a better person for it and People supported him through it, and we still love him. Whereas other people, sometimes if they hit hard times, for some reason it's what people seem to, you know, Harry and Meghan, just leave them alone. I mean, I know you can make all the jokes in the world. Oh, we were worried about our security, which is why we moved to a country that has guns. You can sort of look at it and laugh a bit from all situations, but just leave them be. I feel like it's generally people that have got nothing else going on in their lives or oh it is you know, here just sitting there making all these comments like we're talking about and giving bad reviews and not realizing how much they're upsetting people it's hurt it's pain yeah and sometimes it's not obvious and if you could say to that person this is related to hurt or pain no it isn't but i bet you a properly trained therapist yeah could extract out something of out of them <laughs> and this is the other thing this is the other danger because of the whole umbrella of mental health and things like that I think, particularly in terms of performance, you have to be careful that you don't think of yourself as a therapist. Because sometimes even talking to friends and family and stuff, it can help, but you just, you need to be selective because you often need third party opinions, particularly like that. I mean, on this subject of having me here and being a presenter and a performer, it's no good your mum telling you that you can do something. You need other external parties to have told you or you had to have needed to prove to them that you can do certain things. And then like that, and any sort of criticism that comes back, be it positive or negative, you have to learn how to filter that. And funny enough, we've been talking about schools. My niece at the moment does quite a lot of Irish dancing, and, and she gets nervous. And that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It's good to have nerves. But what I've been saying to her about performing, and this is where I've been able to help you know, yeah. kids and anyone really, is that you end up becoming nervous about the event rather than your own performance. Now, again, earlier at the beginning of this, you said, oh, I'm a bit nervous about this, but your own. But the more and more you do this, if like this, and I know you've had Rich Hurst on the Hursty from the radio around here, and <laughs> I know you said the same thing to him, but you practice it a bit like yeah. this Matt Sidebook that I mentioned. 
he said yeah. you need 100,000 hours of practice to become world class. And he's got a point there. And I think the more you practice things, the better you become. And, and like at school, you have to stick your hand up if you want to do the part, then go for it. But you have to be ready to be told no or you didn't get yeah. something. Then you just have to keep going. And then people sort of go, why would you choose this career of self-flagellation? Why do you want to get kicked around all your life? It doesn't necessarily work like that, but we're all built in different ways. Yeah, it's those moments in between, isn't it? And I guess you need to have quite a bit of self-belief to do anything, really, to do anything successfully. But I can imagine in the world of presenting and that side of things, when you get that criticism, because people say like with photography or video, if someone criticizes your work, they're not actually criticizing you. It's not personal. So you can try and separate it. You can go, right, they don't like my photos. They're not for them. Doesn't mean they hate me. No, no, <laughs> We exactly. can still get on and go and have a point one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I can imagine it could feel slightly more personal when you're up on stage because it's you, isn't it? You're talking, you're coming out with the stuff. It's slightly different. But as I'm saying that, I'm also thinking there is some separation, isn't there? Because yeah, there is. I know that as soon as I pick up a camera or turn this mic on, I slightly change a little bit. You know? <laughs> yeah. Being honest, when he met for the first time today, to me, you don't appear any different than when I came in the door and we had a quick hello okay, that's good. and a coffee and a chat. So, no, 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 it's good. It's good. But I think, yes, practice and rejection and like that, things are separated. So, for example, because it depends where the criticism comes from. If it's somebody that you really value and respect, that could be your own parents, it could be somebody in your family, it could be a best friend, then it can be incredibly useful, though, sometimes. Tough criticism. My dad, for example, was telling me when I was a kid, stop trying to be top dog and all this kind of sort of stuff. And you sort of get confused by it at the time. And eventually you sort of work out and you think what he meant was don't be a prat. I'd use stronger <laughs> language, but the word rhymes with hat. Yeah. Don't, don't be a hat, son, <laughs> you know, basically. But then, for example, if the criticism comes from employers or people that have given you the gig, then you have to listen to that because sometimes what your abilities or your past work the reason why you've been hired sometimes you can go down that same avenue and they can go oh, we don't quite want that and sometimes that can be confusing mm -hmm. you're like well hang on you've sort of hired me based on what you saw and heard <laughs> and now you sort of don't want me to because that might tip over some corporate line or whatever and i think sometimes presenters have to be trusted a bit more a lot of us we do know where the line is and yes lines do get crossed but at the same time crossing lines is then what gets talked about so you have to ride that kind of stuff. I mean, for example, reading both Chris Moyles' books, I just wouldn't have done what he did. I wouldn't have said that to the boss. I wouldn't have retorted in that way. I wouldn't have gone, oh, no, I'm just going to play what I want. I wouldn't have done that. But that's then how you get on Radio 1, and that's how you then end up with one of the most successful, whether or not you liked his breakfast show or not. Yeah, yeah. The facts yeah. are it's just one of the most popular radio shows we've ever had. Yeah, yeah. But I wouldn't have been as flamboyant as Chris Moyles was. And I'm a massive fan of his, by the way, as well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, I was as well. Always yeah, we talk too much. No, 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 it's good. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. good. Yeah, it depends where it comes from. I mean, for example, I work with Warriors. Jill Wood, if you're listening, if someone high up in the echelon says, oh, we need to sort of change this, fine. But often as well, we really liked what you did there and we need to do more of that. Or do you think there's any other ways in which we could sort of improve? And I think... In life, it can all sound very kind of melancholy and walking through a lovely field with a sunset and 
I think you should come to as many situations as possible with a kind of a how can I improve? How can I get better at this? Just try it. And I used to read things, oh, these gratitude journals, oh, really? And you start it for a couple of days. And if you do try and wake up, like I did today, thinking, right, I'm going to be on time today. You have to be on time. You have to be professional. You told me I was having my photograph taken. Wear something that you think reflects you. And go into it thinking, even I'm going to give this the best shot I can. You know, there's no overconfidence or arrogance sitting here thinking, oh, well, I've been doing this for a living for years, so I can just sit there and put my hands on the back of the sofa and feet on the desk and, oh, Dan, yeah, you know, just (laughs) wax lyrical, you know, kind of think, no, this is... Well, yeah, and I think that's something I've noticed. You've mentioned a few names, but I'm sure you haven't sort of gone in there at all yet compared to what you have seen and met and... Well, this the is people it, yeah. that you've, and, and everything. I'm sorry, and and if I've yeah, met... but it's not coming across like at all. It's kind of like, yeah, this thing happened, but you're totally grounded. Yeah, like... yeah, well, I'd like to think so, Dan. <laughs> Funny that that's been a lot of feedback that I've had over the years that people have said, "Oh, you're very warm. You're very easy to be around. You put people at ease. If someone's a bit shy and doesn't talk too much, don't worry, because I will." Yeah. <laughs> and you know how to be softer with some people, and you know where you can be a bit harder or a bit more risque. Again, I know we've mentioned about famous people. Some of these people I'm mentioning, I haven't met. If you want to hear the Noel Edmonds story, though, I can tell you that one. And some of the people who I have or am still friends with, I do like to think that when I do mention them, it's within context. It's because we're on the subject of working in... Yeah, yeah, so yeah, naturally, yeah, you know, yeah. Because, unfortunately, again, it, and it's normal people that drive it out of you. Oh, listen to you on name-dropping. Yeah, well... <laughs> It's the same for your business. Who do you work for? Work for Virgin Atlantic. Right, okay. And then they might mention Richard Branson or something, or it might be a certain industry where Sally Jenkins or whoever she is is the CEO and they've met her. But yeah, it's okay to kind of name drop, as it were, within your own sphere. Is this making sense? Yeah, yeah. But the minute you mention something, oh, listen to your name drop it, well, no, that's the career I'm in. Yeah, it's just people at the yeah, end of the day, isn't it? it's the people I work <laughs> with. You don't deliberately go out of your way to kind of sort of climb up some social ladder and sort of go, no, uh, so me, yeah, yeah, me and, yeah, me and him are, yeah, yeah, we're mates, yeah, 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 yeah. Be mates forever or whatever. No, it's part of your life. Well, what you do, yeah. Like you say, you might meet the CEO of a certain company because you work with them because you're doing whatever the job role is. Yeah, and it just happens famous... that your job role is... Yeah, yeah is that... they're famous within their sphere or within their world. You mentioned somebody that is maybe a household name or maybe somebody that people know. You're sort of accused, oh, listen to you, like, no, drop it. And then what happens is you get that awful thing in life where people use the word banter to cover the fact that actually they're having a dig. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, in my line of business, you surf that wave. Because believe you me, Dan, I know the difference between banter and whether or not someone's actually saying what their little voice inside is actually saying. Right, okay. Whether it be a comment about something or whatever, you learn to tell the difference. But there's so much to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, well, let's get back on track. Yeah. (laughs) A little bit. (laughs) I do like to let the conversation flow and everything. We've got a rough guideline of your life. Yes, a rough roadmap. (laughs) Yeah. I think we got up to school and university. and then Yeah, we're we... only there. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've got to talk about the career stuff now. Yeah, so 
you had that break at school working in the radio, which probably, I guess, gave you motivation. That's like, yeah, I've seen it. I want to do it. It did. But unfortunately, then at the time, the presenter that I met wasn't very interested in younger people coming in the door. And I look back now, and maybe I sort of, you know, this, you do get people who sort of go, well, who's this young buck or young lady? Or some of us have experienced, some of us haven't. It didn't go anywhere. Yeah. So yeah. this was 1996, 97. I actually didn't get my first full time radio job till 2005. Okay. Now I'd worked in radio and I'd worked in other roles, weekend roles and things like that, but there was quite a bit that happened in between because the door opens, you get down there, and then when you're sort of not encouraged to come back, it can then fizzle out like lots of things in life. And this is why I've helped so many young kids particularly and the reason i do that is because you need that opportunity of what happened to me you need somebody who's going to go no i'm going to do something i'm going to help this and sometimes you do it off your own back you spot something you maybe go over to a parent and say does your son you know your daughter does she like oh yeah families yeah she starts performing and dancing but she gets shy when she's in front of her friends or whatever okay and you spot something and you can help people out and then it's great to see people's success stories it makes you buzz. That necessarily doesn't put pounds in the bank, but it has a wealth to yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And it definitely makes you feel like a better person. And I think now there was something about hitting 40. I sort of feel like I've got nothing to prove anymore. Right, okay. You know, anything that happens from now, hopefully in a couple of months, all being well, I'll be at the Olympics announcing finals and doing medal ceremonies. and Cool. Representing Great Britain, the gold medalist, Daniel Barker. <laughs> doing things like that and all that kind of carry on. But even now, if the Olympics doesn't happen, I'm all right with that. Yeah. yeah. Ten years ago, I'd have oh, this is, ugh, my life's caved in. Yeah, oh, right, what's going okay. on? Whereas now, you do, you start to, I don't know, you just get older and you, <laughs> you get more value in, out of my beautiful wife, Lizzie, and my dog, Sumner, my little beagle, and my life in Worcester. I lived down south for a long time. I've started a new life up here. And things and jobs and stuff like that, and people might even listen to this now going, oh, how, how can you just toss away an opportunity like that of going to the, oh, come on, mate. Do you secretly really want to go? Well, of course I want to go. But if it doesn't work out, and even if it does, it's not going to be the same as it would be normally. Wearing masks everywhere, no spectators. It's not exactly going to be the real sort of Olympic. And also experience. there's nothing you can do about it if it doesn't come off, isn't it? Finally starting to realise that when you get a great inquiry through for a job and you're like, oh, that's going to be amazing. You know, it's, yeah. they've got a good budget. They really want to do it. It's fun. Yeah. interesting stuff to shoot it's going to be exciting and then it doesn't come off and you can be like oh, yeah. for ages but i think now starting to kind of get to that point that you're saying where you're kind of like well okay it wasn't supposed to happen yeah let's move on something better will come through well it happened between you and i didn't it indirectly we both know alice who works over in, in malvern and then i saw on her linkedin oh we just commissioned dan barker to do our, our new video and stuff like that and of course being acquaintances of Alice. I couldn't say she's sort of a, well, I suppose you could say she's a friend, but she was very interested in me when we first met and she invited me and my wife into their company and we were there for quite a long time being shown around in tire factory and stuff like that. So of course you come away with that thinking, all oh, right, next time they need a video, like we stand with a shout here. So when I saw Alice's post that she'd hired you, this is where you then learn that you're on the right track. Because of course, initially you think, oh, what's she done that for? Who's he? You do all that kind of stuff in your head. Oh, 
what, what's she got? Oh, I've never heard of him. You know, what, what's, what's she got him for? And you have kind of that. And then you sort of go, well, no, 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 hang on a minute. Then what I did, you think I can learn from this. And also, Dan, there might be more to the story here. Mm-hmm. And there was. Right, okay. Because I then emailed Alice and I say, oh, Alice, hi. I saw your post out of interest. Why did you not consider us? Now, again, all sorts of things run through your head. Think, Is she forgotten? Yeah. Will, will she admit <laughs> that? I don't know. That's probably yeah. not the case. And then you get the reply of, well, actually, it was your proactive thoughts. She said, oh, well, actually, Dan spotted an opportunity for us and a grant that we could take advantage of and came to us with a proposal. And we've known Dan for a long time, and he's got a background in engineering and manufacturing. It sort of made more sense. And then once you find out that the real picture, you kind of go, oh, well, fair enough. And literally, in a third person, and try it, it's hard to do, is really extrapolate yourself out and really try and put yourself in a third person's shoes. Would I have done the same thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you've got to learn as well that in business sometimes, um, collaboration can be your biggest ally. Yeah. And competition can be a good thing. Especially obviously now, I still do broadcasting. I still work for the BBC. And you'll hear me, for example, reading news on BBC Hereford and Worcester. And I had a show on BBC CWR and Coventry. And you'll hear me doing rugby coverage for Warriors on the BBC with lovely Carson Wishart name check for him that's what that's called in radio name check it's <laughs> always really in term <laughs> in some ways and this is where the listener now might think this is interesting because we're sort of competing for the same sort of business in some sort of ways but yeah, at the same yeah. time i kind of look at it as yes we are potentially competing for the same stuff we've got a video and production company when you're a lot more established we're sitting here in your wonderful studio and all this kit and oh, it's brilliant loads of tech <laughs> it's fantastic you have to sort of learn to be able to get along and not even learn actually that sort of makes it sound as if you've got a slight reservation on that but you don't know if you're going to end up collaborating i was gonna say yeah it's more realization that two and two equals five or six or whatever isn't it rather than competing and yeah i suppose the other thing to that point and people that know me i bang on about it quite a lot is this idea of niching down in a certain area as Mm -hmm. well that removes that inverted competition because Suddenly, there's not so many industrial video photography specialists in the area. And if I get an inquiry that doesn't quite fit what I do, I can hand it off to someone that does that. You know, if I get like, I don't know, fashion photography or something, it's not really my bag. I could do it, but I'm not going to do the best job of it. So pass it on to whoever down the road who specializes in fashion photography. And it's been a massive revelation to me in the last sort of couple of years how that niching and specializing it just like it supercharges your marketing because you know what to do you know who to target you know who to talk to and it also removes that element of kind of competition and i'm doing air quotes again yeah no 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 (laughs) it does it does hopefully this is where this chat now has become really intriguing because people are going oh didn't know this look at this now we've got two guys talking to each other who sort of one indirectly, one a job, a commission, or perhaps one that they might have had. But you see, this is the presenter in me. This is my back career. It's so strange that the point you've just made where your past experience sometimes can sort of niche you down, because like that, I've become very niched in getting on with other competitors. Right, okay. For example, Goodwood, Festival of Speed. I hosted the stage for four years in a row. That's a pretty good run. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was replaced by Louise Goodman off the telly, who does the touring cars for ICV4. Now, I know Louise. Now, what Louise didn't know was that she'd necessarily replaced me. 
But again, like we've been talking about the, the sort of competition in work, I got to tell her last year, we were on the phone talking about another podcast that I was involved with at the time. But she, she was like, I didn't know that. But you do <laughs> learn to just sort of get along. Yeah, yeah. And I think it happens at all different stages in your life. And you sometimes, when you have the maturity, I think it is, and the sort of professional decorum to realize that sometimes somebody's better suited at that. When you're in the football team or the netball team at school or whatever, and you think, oh, yeah, Sally Johnson always gets picked over me or whatever yeah, yeah. in the netball team, or if you're a young lad in a football team or young girl or whatever it is, sometimes you know who the best people are in a certain niche thing. And it happens, it actually, if you really think about it, it happens throughout your life all the time. It's just when it comes to business, oh, yeah. well, that's easier to niche down in my brain because it's business and therefore I can compartmentalize it and I can characterize it more in my brain. But it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So what's the point in, for example, we'd never even met, even on the LinkedIn invite that you sent me. Unfortunately for me, I realized that was hanging for months. I had loads. I didn't realize. I was like, hang on, I've got about 25 people here who've asked to connect <laughs> and replied. By the time I then got back to you, Dan, and said, oh, by the way, what was it that made you connect with me? You were like, oh, actually, I now can't remember. <laughs> My guess is it might have been Rich Hurst. It might have been Possibly, around yeah, yeah, Rich yeah. and suggestions of people you know. So I think to myself, I could either sort of make an enemy of this bloke yeah, yeah. and decide not to like him before I've even met him, or I can go along and have a chat and be open and transparent like we're doing now but it's my entire career that's taught me that that's a good thing yeah yeah i think that's a great lesson and it one is. that is hard to remember because i go through exactly the same processes that you've just described when i see that someone else has got into a company and been chosen for the do the work i'm a bit like oh why did they do that you yeah know? i know, I like, know. Oh, damn. yeah you gradually sort of come around to like okay it's cool we'll get some other work anyway and maybe we can collaborate with them at some point and hopefully that time between seeing it and getting a bit cooler with it <laughs> shortens and shortens yeah. to the point that yeah. it's your yeah. natural response and i think you have to remember this as well as in one one has to remember this sounding like the queen aren't i and i hardly speak the queen's english but you have to realize again it's all about timing and things like so for example the honda job goodwood festival of speed the first year they said, we're going to need two of you. So I picked a mate who had done stand-up comedy. I knew that we labeled ourselves as thinking man's ant and deck, thinking persons, I should say. And it was very successful. But again, change of personnel in Honda. Come back in 2015, it's someone else doing the hiring for the stage host. Right, okay. Now, one of the roles that I had on the touring cars, I'd been hired in through another third-party company and that contract had come to an end. So they then asked me to pitch individually. And I did. But what I didn't realize was I was pitching against somebody that worked on a motorsport TV channel. And that person got the job in front of me. Niche. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely bloke, chap called Bryn Lucas, who we've become friends. Now, I don't think Bryn knew at the time, but that summer when they then hired me again for Goodwood, they put me on stage with Bryn. Right. And he didn't know that he'd replaced me in the last job, which really hurt at the time because I loved that job, yeah. working with the drivers and in hospitality. And I got on with the CEO of Honda. And I'm still friends with Phil Crossman, if you're listening. I'm still friends with the, the ex-CEO now. But that's when your maturity kicks in, because you're like, right, I've got to go on stage for four days in a row at Goodwood in front of hundreds of thousands of people who are passing and work with somebody who took a job that I loved. <laughs> I don't think they know 
And you think, it's okay, I'll be able to tell them at some point. But the point I'm making is, you then have to remember that you've also replaced someone else. So when I came in to start hosting the stage, and again, I'm just using this Honda one as an example, because people have heard of the company, they will have heard of the Festival of Speed. So it's easy to illustrate that. But I replaced somebody else. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know how that person it? felt. <laughs> they might have been crushed. They might have gone, phew, didn't want that job anyway. They might have gone, doesn't matter, I'm going to go and work for BMW or whatever. So the whole circle of life thing, and if you try and find, again, it's all very, it can be mamsy-pamsy to say, you try and find that balance somewhere. You just have to keep going. You just have to keep learning. Yeah, like that, you know, don't turn an opportunity down. You're inviting me to do this. Yeah, I went straight for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? no, and again, I, I, really have, I thought, oh, he'll be worried about interviewing a person that's done it, you know, professionally, as it were, or whatever. But no, no, you shouldn't. The fact is you're doing it. And again, thriving, great adjective, love that word, <laughs> thriving three counties. It's about this area and about the people that yeah, are in yeah. it. I've enjoyed listening to the previous episodes, and I hope that people are getting something out of this, if not a bit of intrigue from the whole, as I said, from the whole kind of, oh, he got a job that he potentially could have had sort of type thing. But as I said, no, that particular email, I sort of said, was there anything we not did wrong, but you try and learn from it. Yeah, yeah, And then of course yeah. you realize that you sort of didn't stand a chance anyway, because it was a certain angle that, that you'd come from. There was already a previous relationship. So you kind of think, all right, fair enough. But it's better to find out mm. and know. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because I always hesitate to send that email like when I see that to ask about it because I guess I worry Yeah, that it might seem... But you make up your own conclusion. Yeah, yeah, it's a good thing to do, isn't and, it? And sometimes it can be wrong. But like that, with any self-development, I've done plenty of it and had to do some very open and transparent things and tests with people. Before you delve into self-development, and it's a good thing, a bit like in the garden where you lift the rock and the creepy crawlies are underneath it. Sometimes you lift the rock and there's nothing there. You've just got to be aware of once you go down, once you stick your neck on the block, as it were, once you start doing self-development, you've got to be prepared for what might be underneath. Hear the hard stuff. Yeah. And for example, one of the self-development mentors I used to have used to do self-development on me in the middle of Covent Garden. Right. We stand there in the middle of Covent Garden and Daryl would do all sorts of mentalism tricks and wording and visualizations. And he also did some hypnosis as well. And nobody cared. And you could say, oh, yeah, that's London. People are just too busy walking past you. But you just learn to have the confidence to kind of just let yeah, go of your ambitions, yeah. just get on with it. And funnily enough, one of the things he said was, you know, visualize something that you want for next year. And I was specific with the date and kind of going, oh, March next year. And that's when I landed the the job on the touring right, cars. okay so again you could star signs that a little bit and kind of go oh well no, actually no. you can make that fit you can kind of go oh yeah you can't believe in fate or whatever or you can believe in it but you can certainly believe in pre-visualization i think that really helps if you can really work and master as much pre-visualization as possible i did loads of it coming here today i sort of knew to expect this sort of thing it can really help and it can help your flow state it can help your nerves it can help how you are how you come across that particular day or instance okay so visualizing how it's going to go or yeah yeah what it might be like how you might feel what sort of things are you maybe going to talk about or are you just going to ramble on (laughs) (laughs) how interesting is it to somebody who's actually listening 
hopefully I'd like to think people think it is interesting because it's very honest and transparent. Yeah, yeah, no, you've been And that's honest. what you'll always get from me. And part of that's my character is to just be like that. And this whole, I suppose the older term is heart on your sleeve and things like that. Well, yes, I am. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with that, though. But for example, I'm just picking, what if Bob Geldof had not worn his heart on his sleeve? Would Live Aid ever have happened? Would Band Aid ever have happened? It can be something that people go, oh, he wears his heart on his sleeve, so it's a bit of a negative, because like leaves himself wide open. Yeah, you do. But at the same time, you leave yourself wide open to an opportunity as well. Because sometimes people are attracted to that honesty. You know, you might have been the only one in an interview that actually told the story about when your life caved in. And they might have seen a bit of reality, rather than the veneer and the varnish. You know, like that in presenting, you can never really have a bad day. You know, if your dog's died the night before or whatever, the following morning, if you are working, you've got to decide whether or not you reveal that or you've just got to kind of carry on. Everyone else can have a bad day when you're on the radio. Everyone else can be maybe going through a bad day or a good day, but you've got to almost be consistent. Yeah, we talked about it with uh, Hursty actually, okay. about with Chris Moores, because I was saying you have to turn up and you have to be professional, like you're saying, whatever's happened. And he was saying Chris Moores sort of took that approach of he'd say whatever. <laughs> if yeah. he's having a bad day, tell everyone. But That's right, and Hursty's right. And I heard some of what he was saying in the podcast as well about his snoop sessions. Oh, yeah, And again, yeah. you were like, snoop. And again, this is what happens. People <laughs> in radio sometimes forget that other people don't know what these terms mean. Stick the fader up. Sorry, what? That means raising the microphone level. All oh, right. And unfortunately, radio has become, not in its entirety, but it became very formulaic and very kind of, oh, no, don't say that you're really sad because your dog's passed away or your nan. No, no one cares about your nan. Well, no, I do. And believe me, actually, loads of people, the air ambulance or whoever she worked for, they all care as well. So don't just pass it off. People are far more interested in real life conversations like this one, rather than this veneer of how amazing everything's been, because that can become detrimental to people as well. People can be like, oh, just listening to constant veneered success. How many times has Richard Branson crashed a balloon into the Atlantic? I can't remember, <laughs> yeah. but... Yeah, that's it. People don't focus on that. It does happen. Well, we've talked a little bit about your career and everything, and I'm sure there's heaps of stories that we should probably save for another episode or something. So. Yeah, yeah, you can always have me back. But at one point, then, you decided to not quit that, but put it on the back burner a bit, come to Worcester and start your video production business, which is mstudios, m-studios.co.uk. Yes. yes. So what's the driver there? My mother-in-law was the one that said do it. When we moved into the house, I was making little videos. The whole move to our house, uh, me and Lizzie like to nickname everything. We like to call certain people by their surname in our house because it's quicker. Oh, sorry, Hannah, who? Dyson. Oh, right. So, so we just call, yeah, Dyson's been on the phone or whatever. You know? <laughs> and then you sort of know who you're talking about. So what happened was our entire house move was called Operation Dartboard. Because when I sort of came out of the relationship I was within in, in Berkshire, uh, one of the things I had in my house was a dartboard with a surround. And I would whittle away four or five hours on a Friday night. It was great. It was brilliant. You remember getting your first 180 and things like that. So you move into rented and one of the things they won't allow is a dartboard. But again, preconception, because you're a bit like, but you don't know how good I am. <laughs> yeah. You haven't even asked. I never miss. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. No, I practice that much. But with the surround, no, I don't hit the wall. Because you've got a rubber surround, which is at least 10 centimetres thick, right? But this is what I mean, it's preconceptions, so people don't even ask. 
but yet you can move into a rented house and sort of clatter a door against the wall which will eventually knock a hole in the wall but you can't put a dartboard up so do you see what i mean so one of the things about getting my own house again was to be able to put a dartboard up on the wall so of yeah. course i made a video of me this moment where this dartboard <laughs> gets hooked on the wall and at the official height and distance and all the rest of it dan and then I was putting the pan rack up and making a video about that and all the videos we did. And my mother-in-law said to me, these are actually quite entertaining. Have you thought about making videos? And I said, well, I've been making videos all my life, mainly for presents for people, particularly people who have got all the money in the world to buy what they want. Yeah, so you yeah. give them something that... Money can't buy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And you give them an edited video as, as a gift. So that's how it all started. So yes, my mother-in-law, Joanna, I've got to thank really for that. So it's funny, isn't it, how... You've actually really got people to thank for almost each stage. Yeah, well, it's the same as what you're saying earlier, to loop it back. I'm sure there's a radio term for that. But to what you're saying about your school teacher who gave you that, it's just someone seeing something and pointing it out to you, reflecting it back to you, I suppose. Yeah. Actually, why don't you give that a go? Indeed. So that's what we did. So then, you know, we had to come up with a name and thought, well, we'll go for studios because, funny enough, even that, you know, Dan Barker Studios. So, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not exactly highly original with that one. Dan Barker got, got there before we did with the word studios. But uh, the M is for McAllister, my yeah, surname. Yeah. Originally, we even had Mook Studios and people were like, no, it, it sounds it's, like a yeah. fast food restaurant. It sounds yeah, cheap. drive through video. Yeah, so thank you, Graham Todd, for that. Todd's been really supportive as well. So we started and yeah, our first commission was with a UK franchise, Kit McGrath. They're an educational centre. There's about 280 centres in the UK. We were commissioned by the Worcester one. And then our next commission was for a company called Acom. They do environmental work, structural work, engineering, all sorts. They're one of those companies where we've all seen some of their stuff. We've all been on, we've all driven on a road. They had something to do with or a train or whatever, but they just, you don't necessarily know who they are as a company. Yeah, But sure. name a country and they have an office there. Right, yeah. So it was really quite encouraging. Yeah, yeah. And we've done several other things since. And of course, it has all slowed down because when the pandemic hit, sort of budgets were tightened and things like that. Because sometimes people don't realize they need a video or could do with one yeah it's been going very very well we're quite happy with where we're at my wife also does a lot of voiceover work again people will have heard her on the radio lizzie crow she still uses her maiden name for her professional work and it's a husband and wife affair and we're looking to grow as soon as we can and already we're looking to take on as many freelancers as we can mm -hmm. because yeah, yeah. i can't do it all dan yeah, yeah. and also I don't have that sort of self-control arrogance to want to do it all. I want to see what someone else can do with the edit. Yeah, yeah. I want to see what kind of expertise someone can bring, like yourself, to lighting and cameras. Being honest, the minute this is finished, I'm going to ask you how much you are per day. Okay. <laughs> because if you get on with somebody and, and you know that you're pretty sure you can work collaboratively, yeah, and already yeah, we've yeah, done yeah. this today and obviously we did my photos earlier and it's all gone very, very well. <laughs> So, yeah, so hopefully people have enjoyed what they've heard. No, it's been great. I can rattle on. No, no. There are many stories. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to get me back just to talk about certain things or celebrity encounters and particular bits of what I've done, I'd be more than happy to do that. You know, I wish the podcast continuing success and let's see who else you can get on. Genuinely think this is a brilliant thing that you're doing. Keep going with it. Yeah, look at me wrapping it up. Means a lot. Just a presenter, you see. Yeah, I'll take the helm now, Dan. Thanks very much. Well, you've just become the guest there, and I'm going to wrap this podcast up for you. Your no, I like podcast, I'll I will back. wrap up. I'll sit back now. <laughs> no, I'm just going to give you a quick another shout out though. So, website m-studios.co.uk. You're on the LinkedIn, Rory McAllister. We'll put all these links in the show notes. 
You're on the Twitter, Rory underscore McAllister, and you're on the Instagram. Yes, with my age in there. I don't I know. know why I did that. Rory McAllister, 1978. 1978, yeah. Who gives away how old I am? I wonder why he's got that. <laughs> I was one of the first users of Instagram. It used to be a right. filter. And you still put 1978 on the end yeah. of it? I don't know. I don't know. People have forgotten this, though. It just used to be a place where you could put filters on your yeah, pictures. Yeah, yeah. That's all yeah. it was. And then it went through this resurgence, and it's the beast that it is now. But yeah, so if you want to know how old I am, just go to Instagram. Yeah, just go onto Instagram <laughs> and you'll see various random photos of Chris packets that I've taken or me commentating at the rugby or whatever. There's a whole mixture of stuff on there. Cool. But yeah, feel free to go and have a look and yeah. Yeah, well, no, it's been great and thanks for everything really, all your honesty and openness and fun and it's been great. Well, you're very welcome, Dan. You're very welcome. Yeah, no, it's been great. No, thanks very much for the invite. Thank Pleasure. you. Pleasure. Take care. Will do. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.